Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in with you this evening. How you doing? It's a great evening out there. We're having fun here this evening on Camoax. Uh, you can catch us on 1120, as you know. You can catch us on FM at 98.7. You can listen to us on the odyssey.com, on, on odyssey.com on the Internet. You can download the Odyssey app from the App Store. So many ways to listen to Camoax. Thank you for listening to one or perhaps even more than one of them. Uh, you know, whenever I was, uh, I always like to watch sometimes baseball games, turn down the volume and then turn on Camel X. You know, I have two different media going on at the same time. So if you're doing that, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, what's on your mind this evening? 314-436-7900. Call or text. Always, always love hearing from listeners. Also, if you want to shoot me an email, uh, my law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher, and Young. If you ever want to send me an email, every time I'm on X, I get emails from listeners, and I always enjoy responding. My email address, beyoung at, because face it, it's good to be young, isn't it? Beyoung at harrisdowell.com. H-A-R-R-I-S as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L. At the top of the hour news, you heard on right here on KMOX, <clears throat> the president was talking about job training. And he was talking about how important it is for kids to go through job training because it's better for them to pick up a paycheck than a pistol. And while I don't disagree with that adage, to me it's the mindset that says kids today can only get jobs if they go through some government-funded program. I mean, right now... According to the U.S. Labor Bureau of Labor Statistics, this is current. Right now, today, there are 9.3 million open, unfilled jobs. Now, sure, a lot of those are going to be for computer programmers or brain surgeons or rocket scientists at SpaceX or designing uh, you know, battery-operated vehicles for Tesla. Sure, there's a lot of them. But you know what most of those jobs are? Unskilled jobs that would be perfect for kids that would otherwise be going into a government program. How about, I, I got a great suggestion for you right now. If you've got a kid or if you're a kid and, you need, and you're contemplating what to do this summer, go get a job. I mean, there's 9.3 million options out there for you. There was a, uh, this was several weeks ago, but there was a job fair that was held in the city of St. Louis, Central West End, and it was held, I believe, at the Chase Park Plaza. Fabulous place. So the restaurants, the Midtown Restaurant Association had a job fair, and they were hoping to fill hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of open job positions. You know what the requirement was to get a job? Well, let's see. You had to have a pulse. That was the requirement. Um, that's, you had to be conscious. You had to be alive. Uh, and there had to be blood flowing through your veins. That was basically the job requirement. So, in essence, if you showed up at this job fair... Somebody was going to give you a job. How many people do you think showed up for that job fair? 
I, I don't know the exact number, but the Post-Dispatch reported that it was less than 10 showed up for this job fair. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jobs that are open, 10 people show up. There was a picture in the Post-Dispatch of they were trying to stay socially distant. And, uh, and so they were sitting, but it was absurd looking because there was just all these empty chairs and then two people sitting in a room talking. And I'm like, why do you need, need to talk? If somebody comes into the job fair, you just say, here, when can you start? 9.3 million jobs. So to me, that's problematic. Now, I will tell you the one good thing that President Biden said today during his press conference talking about uh, gun violence is that he reiterated his position, at least for today, that he's against defunding the police. And I applaud you for that, Mr. President. It's to me, it's I don't even understand the concept that says, hmm, we have 30 percent more crime in America today. We have a spike in homicides and shootings are at an all time high. How should we address this issue? Hey, I got a great idea. Let's cut the police. Let's defund the police. It's a ridiculous idea. So I applaud you, Mr. President, for standing up to the left flank of your party and saying that you will not support defunding the police. And speaking of funding, I'll comment on this before we go to the break. Uh, you also heard Sean Michael Lyle here on our local KMOX News talking about that uh, local teacher Sandy Olive uh, on Jeopardy has won at this point about $50,000. Well, if you've ever read about what happens when people win money on Jeopardy, the lit- and I'm not making this up. This is not hyperbole from Brad Young to try to be funny. This is the real deal. At all of those game shows, they have dedicated IRS agents on site at the game show. So when you're done clapping, before they remove your makeup, they're collecting taxes. So she may have won $50,000 in taxes, but I don't know how much of that is in fabulous gifts and prizes or actual cash. But I hope she's setting aside some money for taxes because otherwise she's going to have to sell that Hyundai to pay her taxes if if she doesn't uh, set aside some of the dough to pay Uncle Sam for the privilege of winning money. Welcome to America. Speaking of America... You know, uh, and we are talking about guns. You can't mention guns in America without talking about who? Mark McCloskey. That's right. So I had an interview. I sat down with an interview. The recording this of this interview, it's not the best, so I, I apologize in advance. But uh, we had limited time, and I think mine was one of the first interviews with Mark McCloskey talking about something other than his, uh, you know, his little problem with the uh, AK-47 in the pink shirt out on the lawn. And, you know, we always hear the joke about the old man that says, get off my lawn. Well, if he's carrying an AK-47 or an, or an AR-15, you better you better get off his lawn because uh, he's loaded. Uh, so I talked to, sat down with Mark McCloskey, and we talked about the issues about why he's running for the Senate. We talked about foreign policy. We talked about domestic policy. We talked about taxes. We talked about the Supreme Court, not just about whether Patricia can hit a target with her pistol that didn't have a firing pin. So we moved beyond those issues, and uh, I appreciated the opportunity to find out what he thought on a very broad range of topics. Mark McCloskey, Senate candidate, coming up here on 
on uh, KMOX at your service right after this. Trusted information live and local from the award-winning KMOX newsroom. Mark McCloskey, a Senate candidate from Missouri. Uh, thank you for joining us this evening on CAMOX. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Mark McCloskey, just to start out our interview this evening, uh, what do you think of the Second Amendment? <laughs> I think the Second Amendment is one of the vital elements of the Constitution that protects us uh, from friend and foe, so to speak, both uh, locally from crime in the streets, and, and uh, it's one of the defenses against uh, tyranny. When the, uh, when the framers drafted the Second Amendment, uh, one of the primary reasons was to prevent the central government from having a monopoly on weapons, and I think that's still the case today. So the issue involving the protection of your home and family from protesters with, with unknown motives has obviously propelled you onto the national stage, but why do you want to represent Missouri in the U.S. Senate? Well, you know, the, uh, the answer to that really starts about a year ago, and after the, uh, the assaults in our house, uh, particularly the one that happened on Friday, July the 3rd, uh, when they came back in force for the specific purpose of killing us and burning down the house. Um, we were busy that Friday night, but that was the night that the president gave his Mount Rushmore address. I uh, didn't hear it then, but I listened to it the next morning. They talked about defeating Marxist extremism in the United States. And then I heard the, the mainstream media response, and they called that the most divisive speech that they had heard from an American president. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, if fighting Marxist extremism is considered divisive, that we're supposed to live in harmony with those people that seek to destroy us, then there's something seriously wrong in this country. We made a decision to just put our lives on hold and see what we could do for the rest of our lives to try to save this country and pull back our traditional American values and freedom. And then we went on the, uh, the Trump campaign. And uh, we were doing, you know, particularly on the Team Trump bus, we we're doing seven rallies a day for the president. And then uh, speaking to people at, at party headquarters and contributors, businesses and restaurants. And we heard the same thing everywhere we went. That was that people are just upset with what's going on, that they see the erosion of everything that is that made America great. Personal liberties, uh, they're sick of cancel culture, they're sick of critical race theory, they're sick of the lie of systemic racism, and the country at war with itself, that the the kids are being taught to hate themselves and to hate their country. Our civil liberties are being taken away. And, uh, you know, we were saying uh, every place we stopped on the campaign tour that this was our last chance to save the country, that if we didn't uh, win back the House and keep the Senate and keep the presidency, that uh, they would wipe the Second Amendment away by a judicial fiat, that they would pack the Supreme Court, that they would seek D.C. and, and Puerto Rican statehood. They would nationalize elections. They would nationalize the police department. What does all nationalization of all these things mean? One-party state, communism, socialism, uh, the destruction of everything that, that we hold near and dear. And, uh, and so even after the election was over and it, and it did not technically turn out the way that we, we hoped, um, we kept on the, on the campaign trail for freedom and, and democracy. I know it sounds kind of um, uh, simplistic, but that's, that's what we were doing. We, we were making presentations at the rotunda of the Capitol in Jeff City on the First and Second Amendment and the value of, of freedom and, and uh, the basic structure of this republic. And then when people heard us, uh, we went out and started hitting the uh, local Lincoln-Reagan days for the different uh, county parties, and we've been doing that ever since. Then uh, when uh, Roy Blunt decided that he wasn't going to run for election, 
people started to call me and ask me if I'd be interested in doing it. You know, I called up a buddy of mine who I had a great deal of respect for, and I said, well, what do you think? He said, you should go outside, drive nails through your feet. It won't hurt as much, and it'll, take, it'll be much quicker, right? <laughs> we're uh, we're talking to Mark McCloskey, uh, Senate candidate from Missouri, and I'd like to ask you some uh, foreign policy questions, and then talk about some domestic policy questions. Uh, the the Biden administration lifted sanctions on three former Iranian officials and and several energy companies amid stalled nuclear negotiations, and it looks like he's signaling Washington's willingness to further ease economic pressure on Iran if the country changes course. Here's my question. Are you in favor of rejoining the talks to limit Iran's nuclear ambitions? And if so, how should inspections factor into those negotiations? Well, you know, I think that negotiating with the Iranians is, is, a, is a mistake. I think that you have to swing the big hammer of the Iranians. They have vowed the destruction of Israel. They are no friend of the United States. For example, shipping them train, uh, uh, airplanes full of dollar bills like the last administration did, doesn't deter them. It just encourages them. Uh, and I think that you have to take a very hard line approach uh, with the Iranian government. Um, I think that uh, the government is not supported by the people. It's a, it's a top-down administration, uh, which, you know, for all I know, our, our government, you know, the current administration likes that form of government. Um, but, uh, no, I think, I think that we should not re-enter the old accord with Iran. I think we should take a much harder line. Um, but you know, this is a this is a president who what last week told the uh, the dictator of, of of Russia what 16 vital sectors of America they shouldn't attack, right? To, to you know, on the one hand, is that saying okay, so everything else go ahead and attack, right? Um, but it's like saying don't shoot me in the heart, that might kill me. Don't shoot me in the head, that might kill me. And by the way, here's 14 other areas you shouldn't shoot me in because it might hurt really bad. What kind of nonsense is that? Well, that's actually my next question, because uh, as you mentioned, President Biden recently met with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. And in light of the recent ransomware cyber attacks that you referenced against U.S. infrastructure and critical businesses like food and gasoline suppliers, what actions do you think the U.S. should take against Russia to deter these cyber attacks? Well, you know, instead of telling Russia what areas of our government they shouldn't attack, why don't we tell Russia what areas of their government we will attack? If they engage in, in further aggression, right? We should be on the on the offensive, not the defensive on this. I mean, uh, we we have the uh, the largest economy in the world. We have the largest military in the world, and yet we're what we're we're saying, please don't attack us. That's nonsense. I think we have to say, you attack us, and you won't like the result. You know, by any measure, we have a crisis at our southern border, and Vice President Harris. Uh, has been given the responsibility to address this crisis, but we've seen little progress on this enduring issue. Uh, what do you think should be done at the border to help alleviate this political and humanitarian crisis? Well, how about just like uh, enforcing the laws that currently exist? I mean, we, we, the, the left no longer allows you to use the term illegal aliens, but if they're, if they're illegal, the, the current administration and the left throughout the last year not just in immigration, but with the civil unrest and everything else, has chosen categories of the law to no longer enforce. Um, I think illegal immigration is a serious problem. I think the volume of immigration um, is intended by the left to uh, basically bolster their, their voter rolls. Um, but I think that there ought to be strict. Uh, well, let me, let me back up and say this. When, the, when Donald Trump was the president, the left was all full of 
how horrible it is that children have been separated from their parents. And there were some children separated by, from their parents, but now tens of thousands, now hundreds of thousands in total, children are being dumped into the United States, unescorted by adults, and then distributed by our government someplace. Planes loaded them, landing in Nashville in the middle of the night and then taking off to God knows where. I mean, what what is this? I mean, how do we know that the where those kids are ending up? How do we know what kind of security is in place? How do we know what right our government has to distribute those kids at random around the country? So yeah, I think we need to close the border. We need to, uh, if, if their people are legitimately political refugees, they should be able to demonstrate their refugee status. They should stay in Mexico until they can demonstrate a legitimate reason to come in the United States. You know, we're all immigrants. My, my wife's family came over from Czechoslovakia uh, two generations ago. We were, we were, you know, Irish that came into New York City uh, and uh, came through Ellis Island. Uh, you know, we're all immigrants, but we all did it the right way, and we all, we all pulled together in the right direction and, and prospered. We're talking to uh, Mark McCloskey, uh, Senate, U.S. Senate candidate from Missouri, and I'd like to turn to some domestic policy issues. Uh, in, a, in a related question, many Democrat areas have sanctuary cities or sanctuary states where illegal immigrants are allowed to live really without fear of arrest or reprisal. What do you think of sanctuary cities or states, and should the federal government take action to stop such sanctuary cities or states? Well, it occurs to me that the, uh, the Civil War came about because certain states passed nullification acts where they said we didn't care what the federal government said, we're going to follow our own laws. Um, I think that, that, that the sanctuary cities, for in two ways, not just illegal aliens or, or, or illegal immigrant uh, sanctuary cities, but crime sanctuary cities where the, the local prosecutors, for example, here in the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County, have defined whole sections of the criminal law to be non-enforceable, that they're not going to enforce drug crimes, they're not going to enforce sex crimes, they're um, going to not require people to be actually incarcerated. Um, I like I like our local defund the police program. We're taking four million out of a hundred and seventy one million dollar budget, and they want to spend a million of that to pay for the funerals and the medical bills of crime victims. Okay, let's not stop crime, but when the guys kill you, we use tax dollars to pay for your funeral. Does that make sense to anybody? You know, that's just that's insane. Um, but, yes, I, I think that there needs to be uh, some you know, of the law. It's just basic respect for the laws that exist. If the left doesn't like the laws as they exist, then change the laws. I mean, that's what democracy is about. The Supreme Court has, on three occasions, including last week, refused to strike down Obamacare on constitutionality grounds. As an attorney, do you believe that Obamacare is constitutional? And as a candidate, do you believe it should be repealed? Well, as, as an attorney, I have to respect the... Uh, the wisdom of the Supreme Court, even when I find that it's probably an error, and I'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, but I can tell you as a practical matter, I, I mostly represent poor people. I'm a personal injury lawyer. Most of the people I represent don't have a very big income, if any income at all. No one can afford Obamacare. I mean, the, the premiums have skyrocketed. The, uh, uh, the uh, deductibles are so large that you can never avail yourself of the coverage should you need it. And uh, uh, my clients are all stuck between a rock and a hard place. They, they can't afford the coverage, and if they can, they never actually get to utilize it because of the huge deductibles. Um, no one on the national level, whenever they're debating Obamacare, uh, ever mentions that, that, uh, that conundrum. 
uh, but it's, it certainly is something that affects the average person out there in a big way. Um, I'm a big believer in, in the free market economy, big believer in uh, just letting the prices ride where the public will support them. Uh, before Obamacare, uh, people had coverage they could afford to create a mirage of coverage uh, for people when in fact they cannot avail themselves of it. Uh, well, first of all, I'll digress one more thing. When they, uh, they talk about pre-existing conditions, but they don't put any limitation on how much the insurance companies can charge you to cover those pre-existing conditions. Once again, that's a false promise. We're talking to Senate candidate Mark McCloskey this evening, and uh, you can see we're discussing a wide range of topics from foreign policy. And after this break, we're going to talk even tax policy with Mark McCloskey. You're going to want to catch this. This is stuff that you haven't heard anywhere else. Brad Young at your service here on Camo X on The Voice of St. Louis. The Cards open a four-game series at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And you can hear it here tonight. Emron pregame show 620. First pitch 715 on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service on KMOX. Brad Young in with you this evening. We're talking to Senate candidate and uh, apparently a pro-gun advocate. Mark McCloskey, uh, we're talking to him about his run for the Senate, about his policies, his positions, why he wants to be uh, representing the state of Missouri in the United States Senate. So we're going to talk about tax policy because that really affects a lot of Americans, particularly when you've got folks like AOC on the left and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders wanting to do wealth taxes, tax the wealthy, punish the people who are working hard and bringing home money in this country. Uh, and so I wanted to ask Mark McCloskey about tax policy in the United States. Given that the top 5% of wage earners in the United States pay 60% of all income, uh, that's according to IRS data from, I think, uh, 2019, uh, and the bottom 50% of wage earners pay 3% of all income taxes, do you believe there's anything inherently wrong with tax cuts being returned to those who actually pay income taxes? Well, the concept that the rich don't pay their fair share is, of course, odd considering the, the statistics you just mentioned. Um, I think that what we're facing right now, though, is a, a huge tax increase. De facto, right now, I went out and I bought a sheet of plywood yesterday. Um, finished grade, four by eight foot sheet of plywood, $62 for a sheet of plywood. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. That's a that's a tax increase right now on everybody. Um, it's it the uh, the inflation is out of control right now dramatically. I heard the uh, the former CEO of McDonald's saying that the price of chicken has quadrupled in the last two months. Um, it's the there's a real economic crisis going on in the form of inflation, which I think can be directly tied to limitless deficit spending, um, and that's that's a real tax on everybody. Uh, but uh, are the uh, are the super wealthy paying their fair share? I think they're paying everybody's share. What percentage of Americans pay no taxes whatsoever and yet consume governmental services? Um, that's, you know, once again, if you look at those numbers, that's kind of the definition of a socialist government. We're talking to Senate candidate Mark McCloskey. And a few moments ago, Mr. McCloskey, you mentioned capitalism, and I want to come back to that. Even though capitalism has raised more humans out of poverty than any economic system ever developed, 
Uh, students on college campuses across the country continue to attack capitalism and campaign for more socialist policies. What are some more of your views on capitalism, and what would be the dangers of adopting more socialist policies? Well, you know, I would, I would uh, point people's attention to the recent past, and that's the uh, Great Leap Forward in, in uh, China and uh, um, 50 million dead people, or, or uh, tens of millions that died under the Soviet regime and, and uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, the devastating effect of the turn of the left in Venezuela, uh, the effect of, of communism on Cuba. Identify for me one government which has improved the life of the average person by moving to the left. Uh, uh, managed economies from the top down tend to create a, a ruling class of extremely wealthy autocrats uh, that do as they please at the expense of the population. And when the population disagrees, a lot of that population disappears. And that's the problem with, with moving to the left. How they sell this to our kids is remarkable. But I mean, I'm you and I are approximately the same age, I guess, and I know that as long ago as when I was in college, they were trying to sell it to me. Economic issues are probably on the forefront of, of the minds of most everyone, and you mentioned economic issues just a moment ago. From your perspective, what's the best indication of economic health, like the stock market or unemployment rate or income rates or et cetera? What is the best indicator of economic health, and what steps would you take, Mark McCloskey, uh, to continue or even to accelerate the post-pandemic economy? Well, I think one of the, the biggest problems is, is the uh, is lack of employment right now. I think the employment rate is probably my best measure of how healthy the economy is. But the problem right now is, we're, we're traveling the state every day. I mean, we're, we're constantly on the road. Every town we go to, from the smallest towns in Missouri to the, the big cities, every shop's got a sign out saying, now hiring all positions. They cannot find people to fill jobs. Restaurants particularly. At uh, the Cole County Lincoln days the other day, sitting at my table was a guy that owns a number of restaurants. He can only open three days a week because he can't find people to fill his spots. And that's because the government's now paying people not to work. And if the government were... I mean, not paying people not to work, there's a double negative for you. Um, if people had to actually go out and make a living, first of all, having a job is, is a, a restorative to your soul. It makes you feel functional. It makes you feel productive. It makes you feel good. I mean, I started working. I was a deckhand on, a, on an excursion boat at the age of 15. It was the most fun I ever had. Um, and uh, uh, people get used to not working, and then they think working is a burden, but working is actually uplifting. And we need to get back to that. We need to get back to a society where people feel that they have an obligation, not just to themselves and to their family, but to, to civilization as a whole, to get out there and do something productive and, 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 and uh, be out there adding to the economy instead of just eating up tax dollars and, and causing the government to print you know, trillions of fictitious dollars to support uh, a non-working population. Well, you just mentioned uh, printing trillions of, of, of dollars. In 2008, the national debt stood at roughly $6.4 trillion. Now, uh, as of this week, that debt has ballooned almost $30 trillion and is projected to reach $89 trillion by 2029. That's just eight years from now. So from your perspective, is this a problem? And if so, uh, what formula of, say, spending cuts or uh, even possibly revenue increases, do you propose to try to rein in our national debt? Yeah, well, you know, what's the, what's the gross national product of the United States? It's about right where our, our national debt is right now. You double or triple our national debt. 
and somebody is going to have to eventually pay for that. Uh, I think we need to start reducing spending. Uh, you know, Rand Paul's got a a, a one cent solution. Um, you know, I'm 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 an adherent of, of any any program that will reduce spending and increase revenue. And increasing revenue just means the country's doing better, right? You you get more people back to work, you make more products, you, you pay more taxes, and that uh, that's the whole concept. The, the, one of the biggest problems, of course, was outsourcing manufacturing. Uh, as, you know, if you drive around a small town in Missouri, in the old days, every town had a little factory, a brown shoe company or, or a manufacturing concern. And on all the corners of the courthouse square, there'd be the pharmacy, the hardware store, the, uh, the Ben Franklin, the little retailers. So the double whammy of outsourcing manufacturing to China is the little manufacturing companies have gone out of business. And the little uh, salesmen have gone out of business. So the, the manufacturing class has been decimated and the merchant class has been decimated. And now we have big box stores and, and Amazon selling almost everything. And almost everything in the big box stores being made in China, a country which vows to destroy us every day. And if, if, if the powers that be in D.C. don't recognize that as a serious problem, then, then they're not paying attention. And that's one of the things that we hear all the time on the campaign trail is that there's something seriously wrong with the government that does not, particularly this current administration, that does not recognize China as uh, as our most immediate threat. We're talking to Mark McCloskey, uh, U.S. Senate candidate from Missouri, and you mentioned uh, what folks in Washington, D.C. may or may not understand, and I want to focus on this for the last three questions that I have, not all in D.C., but I just have three questions for you uh, here this evening. There was recently a bill in Congress to make Washington, D.C. a state, even though the U.S. Constitution has a provision there that, that prohibits Washington, D.C. from being a state. What is your position on whether Washington, D.C. should become a state? Well, you know, the only reason they want Washington, D.C. to be a state is so that the Democrats get two more senators. They'll do the same thing with Puerto Rico if they can. As you mentioned, the, the Constitution uh, created D.C. as a federal district. The uh, the uh, people on the other side would say, okay, let's make uh, the uh, uh, White House and the Capitol building and a little square around it, the federal district, and make everything else a state of the District of Columbia. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the Supreme Court would eventually have to rule on that. But the, the transparency of what they're attempting to do uh, is, is, you know, has to be recognized by everybody. And again, speaking of Washington, D.C., many on the left today are urging Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer to resign in order to allow President Biden the opportunity to appoint a younger justice to the Supreme Court. From your perspective, Mark McCloskey, what should be the criteria for senators to determine whether a Supreme Court nominee is qualified for the Supreme Court? And what would you personally like to see in a Supreme Court nominee? When we were brought up, we were told that the Constitution was the was the absolute uh, framework of this country that it was rock solid that what the framers put in the constitution coupled with the amendments to the constitution represented the basic law of this country now the left views account the constitution as kind of a, a troublesome uh you know roadblock to accomplishing what they want and so my criteria for a supreme court justice is somebody that has read and understands the constitution has read and understood the, uh, the basic uh, mindset of the framers of the Constitution. When Madison was uh, getting prepared to draft the Constitution, he spent four years in his house reading every book he could find in forms of government to come up with the best solution 
to this issue of the of protecting the people from the government in effect instead of creating a government to control the people. How many people that are currently in D.C. do you think have spent four years studying the Constitution before they uh, decide how to rule on it? I, I, I think that would probably be a very small number, but I think that's a very important thing to consider. And lastly, again, we're talking to Mark McCloskey, a senatorial candidate from Missouri. Arizona recently completed an audit of the 2020 election, and although we don't yet know the results of that audit, do you think the outcome of the 2020 election was legitimate? All I can tell you is my, based on my own experience, I have no superior knowledge to anyone on that. But we campaigned vigorously for the president of Pennsylvania because we were told that was going to be the key to the election. And every place we went, we had huge crowds, tremendous enthusiasm for the president. In fact, one of the last stops we did uh, was a, a venue where we were drawn too many people. So Tom Wolf, the governor, canceled us. We had to move a county away and then pop up the next day with no advance notice. We had 450 people. Uh, rallying for the president. Two weeks later, Joe Biden was at that same venue. He had eight, I'm talking eight human beings uh, in cars driving around, okay? On election night, at about 11 o'clock at night, we were 600,000 votes ahead in Pennsylvania. I looked at my wife and said, I'm going to bed. We just wasted two weeks of our life. It's not even gonna be close in Pennsylvania, right? And uh, and then woke up the next morning and, you know, geez, they called it for, for uh, Joe Biden. That is hard for me to believe. Um, but I don't have any superior knowledge to, to anybody else. I just saw that there was tremendous, every place we went, we campaigned, Missouri, Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, and Pennsylvania for the president. Every place we went, huge turnouts, huge enthusiasm, and I didn't see any of that for Joe Biden anywhere. And it's hard to imagine that somebody that hid in their basement got over 80 million votes. Mark McCloskey, a candidate for U.S. Senate from Missouri. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here this evening on Camel X. I'll just put in uh, this final thing, if this, uh, we're at the end of our first reporting quarter. Uh, if anybody wants to help out the campaign, go to McCloskeyforsenate.com, chip in five, ten bucks. I mean, we have a broad-based grassroots uh, campaign. I think our average donation to date is $37. And so uh, if you're out there, if you think we've got a good idea, help us out, contribute to the campaign, and look for us. We're going to be everywhere in the state. Glad Mark McCloskey could take time out of his schedule to meet with uh, with me and answer some questions. Hey, when we come back from this break, more news of the day, Supreme Court cases, lots of stuff still to cover this evening on At Your Service on KMOX. Dependable. Traffic and weather together on the 10s. Weekday mornings on The Voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Hey, during that interview with Mark McCloskey, I had a lot of texts coming in, and uh, somebody was texting me about what we were talking about before the interview about winning on Jeopardy and what you got to pay in taxes. So somebody texted me and said, hey, my buddy won $350,000 from the Illinois lottery and had to pay 50% of that in taxes. Welcome to Illinois, where you pay 50% taxes on your Illinois lottery winnings. And they're still broke over there. Imagine that. <laughs> they take they take half your taxes and they're still, still broke. Hey, next hour, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court and whatever is on your mind. 314-436-7900. 7900, call or text on At Your Service on Camo X.